Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. The voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. How's everybody doing today? It is Super Thursday, as Joe Biden would say. Not to be confused with Super Tuesday. (laughs) It really is unbelievable that that guy is leading right now in the delegate count. And he is just such a buffoon. Um, For those of you not paying attention... The Democratic uh, primary race has been heating up. We had Super Tuesday. And thanks to some clever maneuvering of the DNC, Joe Biden has been positioned as the front runner, outperforming, drastically outperforming what most people thought would have been possible a couple days ago. On the heels of his South Carolina victory, the DNC managed to get everybody who wasn't Joe Biden to basically drop out of the race, with the exception of the only other person who would steal votes from Bernie Sanders in Elizabeth Warren. She was allowed to stay in. She was probably encouraged to stay in to pull votes away from Bernie Sanders. And everybody that would have pulled votes away from Joe Biden, with the exception of uh, maybe uh, Bloomberg, uh, was convinced to drop out conveniently right before a super Tuesday and man did it work like a charm I have the uh the delegate count up here let's take a look so Joe Biden finishes the day with 596 delegates Bernie Sanders sort of right behind him at 531 and then way down below is Pocahontas with 65 Bloomberg got 58 Buttigieg had 27, Amy Klobuchar 7, and uh, Tulsi Gabbard got (laughs) 1. So she's still hanging around as as far as I know. She's the only uh, person of color still in this race, even though I guess it doesn't count for some reason. And, uh, you know, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, that was all pretty much uh, pre-voting. The people that voted early before they dropped out of the race because they didn't drop out until Sunday. So a lot of people have already cast their ballots for them, which just goes to show you how much more, how many more votes they would have taken away from Joe Biden had they stayed in. Um, you know, as I said on the last episode, I, I still think this is a big mistake to prop up Joe Biden like this. And he already had another gaffe uh, on Tuesday night. I, on Monday, I think he he came out and he was trying to give a speech and he forgot the, the name of the Declaration of Independence or something like that. And then on Tuesday night, he's up on stage celebrating his big victories and he mixes up his wife and his uh, younger sister. <laughs> I mean, this guy just can't help himself. He's just a doofus. He's always been, it it took me a while to think of the right word for him. I've probably called him all kinds of names, but I think doofus is one of the better ones. It might be the perfect way of describing him. He's a doofus. He's just low IQ. He's a doofus. And now, on top of that, he's got dementia. And this is the Democratic primary leader right now. And, you know, Mayor Pete, Amy Klobuchar, they certainly did their part. They towed the party line, and I think I underestimated the DNC in that regard because going into you know Super Tuesday, I was thinking that they would let everybody stay in and just have them siphon votes away from Sanders, siphon votes away from Biden, whatever. Um, the, the more people that were available, 
the, the more choices that people had, maybe the more votes that they would get and the less votes that Sanders would get. Now, he would still end up with the uh, majority, with the most um, delegates, but I don't think he would have been able to get to the 1991 that you needed to clinch it. So I was thinking they would leave everybody in there and just let it go to a contested convention. But I guess if I had really thought it all the way through, I, I would have realized that that would have presented them with a pretty big problem come the brokered convention, right? Because if Bernie, you know, even if he doesn't have the majority, if he didn't have that 1991, but he still had the most delegates and they screw him out of the nomination, that, that's a much uh, harder pill to swallow for the populace and because it's just so much more blatant. How do you go to a contested convention and the guy that, that clearly had the most delegates, clearly had the most votes, doesn't get the, the nomination? And this way, this way it looks like it, it could still easily go to a contested convention, but now they get all that noise out of the way. And Joe Biden will have the most delegates unless, um, you know, Bernie Sanders can can really uh, crush it in Michigan. That That's the next um, big battleground coming up. I think there's there's something like around twenty four hundred delegates left. And I think they need about well, do you can do the math, but about fourteen hundred or so to to get to that magical number. Um, and, you know, as long as Joe Biden is leading going into a contested convention, it's going to be a lot easier for them to justify giving it to Joe Biden because he has the most votes. And even Bernie Sanders was saying, like, he thinks they should give it to the guy that has the most votes because at the time he had the most votes. Now he's going to have to back uh, backpedal on that one. But, you know, this way they can just get any candidate out of the way who would have who people would have voted for instead of Biden and just have them drop out. You just take that option off the table and now you have you have to vote for Bernie or Biden like that was it. Basically, Elizabeth Warren, she's kind of an afterthought, but she's still pulling votes away from Bernie and she killed him in, in, a, in a few key states. I'll get into that later. But, it, it, you know, I, the last episode I talked about the illusion of choice and, you know, they gave you a choice. Right. And even if that choice is between original recipe or extra crispy, <laughs> I, I think I used potato chips in my analogy last time. And, you know, if you can't tell, I'm always hungry when I'm doing this show. But um, even the bullshit choices that they give you that are all pretty much the same, as I was pointing out, if you pick wrong, if you pick the wrong person, the one that the establishment doesn't like, it's like, well, you know, uh, we're still going to have to do something about that. Uh, you know, they were worried about you were going to pick uh, Mayor Pete or Amy Klobuchar. And we can't have that. We can't have that, see, because that's going to make our job more difficult down the road. So we'll just take them off the table. Now now you can't choose them. Now you can pick between Biden or Biden. <laughs> All right, so how do you like your choices? How's that for a choice? How's that for democracy, by the way? The, the holy sacrament of democracy and the religion of the state. How's that not election interference, by the way? You're essentially bribing or who knows how they do this. It's strong-arming candidates to either stay in the race longer than they would have or bow out prematurely just to make sure that their guy gets the votes? How is that not election interference? I mean, the DNC did more to affect this election than anybody could have done through voting just by simply limiting your options. More than Russia could ever do. Oh, and, you know, somebody I think tweeted this out, and I, I might have posted it too, that, you know, this whole thing about how Russia influenced the the last election they spent like 20 grand on facebook ads and that's supposedly how they were able to interfere in our our election process and, and get trump elected right and then you have of course this time around mini mike bloomberg just spent over 500 million dollars and he didn't move the needle an inch an inch not at all and he just dropped out by the way yesterday so he's gone 
But apparently, you know, 20 grand of Facebook ads is more effective than $500 million spent everywhere. Facebook, YouTube, TV, just bombarding people. Uh, somehow the, those Russian bots on, on Facebook were more effective. You know, it's almost like this whole thing was made up. Oh, that's pretty unbelievable. And it never, it never ceases to amaze me. You know, a couple of things, I guess. You know, first, if you think back just a couple of weeks ago, right, we had the media that was telling us, you know, it was going to be Mayor Pete. He was the guy. And then after that, it was Amy Klobuchar with her big third place finish. <laughs> that, was, that was a huge deal. Amy Klobuchar was Donald Trump's biggest nightmare. And um, just a few days after that, they're both dropping out of the race. <laughs> And, um, and I think I've been pretty consistent all the way through as to the fact that I, I didn't think that either of them ever really had a realistic chance. And neither of them could have been the, the nominee. But I did think that Mayor Pete would have gone a lot farther had he stayed in, had he not bowed out. I, I, I think he would have done pretty well, just he had no chance of ever getting the nomination. And, and for, if, if anything, just because black people won't vote for him. Black people won't vote for Bernie Sanders much either. And that's why Joe Biden won all these southern states. He dominated in the in the black vote. Apparently, I, I guess blacks hate the Jews and the uh, <laughs> and the gays. Um, but anyway, it just goes to show you, you know, when, when you have these politicians that are so willingly, uh, so willing to play ball with the establishment that, that are just going to, you know, they claim to be all about. The country, this is, you know, I, this is my duty to run for president. I, the country really needs me. And um, I, I just feel this deep sense of, of duty to, to run for president. And that's all just bullshit. It's all bullshit. Because as soon as the, the DNC asks them to get in line, to bow out so that they can prop up Joe Biden with all their votes, uh, they do it. They do it. You see, running for president is a career move for them. It's not about the country. It's not about what's best for the people. It's about increasing their status and their name recognition and making money. You know, they get to do pretty much anything with, with all those campaign donations they get. And now by playing ball with the DNC and with Biden, they can pretty much write their own ticket. I mean, Mayor Pete was the mayor of some bumfuck town in Indiana, South Bend, Indiana. Does anybody know how many people live in South Bend, Indiana? It's like 100,000, okay? If you blinked, you would, drive, you would miss it when you were driving by. What is he doing running for president in the first place? But, you know, he was polished. He had well coached. He had all the right answers to the questions. You know, he's really good at giving those just meaningless political platitudes that, that sound great, but they actually don't mean anything. It's just empty, just empty words that sound really good. And when they're delivered properly, they, they tend to be convincing. Um, and he, you know, he was going to be a threat to Biden. He, he was going to pull a lot of votes from Biden. And by falling on his sword, he'll, he'll get some high-ranking, cushy cabinet position or something like that. He'll get the DNC to throw their weight behind him for maybe governor or senator or congressman. I, whatever he wants, I'm sure. And I, I bet you he's got plans. He has set himself up to be a major career politician from here on out. And if you remember during the debates, one of his big talking points when all of these, um, uh, you know, ironically, all of these uh, candidates were up there, they're all making tens of millions of dollars. Some of them are billionaires and they're all ragging on the rich. Right. And, and he's up there and he's like, well, you know, I'm the only one up here who's not a multimillionaire. And I don't think he's going to be able to say that much longer. The only reason he could say that is because he hasn't been in government long enough. These people, these politicians, are getting rich beyond your wildest dreams off of this whole scam, this whole system. He's not going to be able to talk about how he's the only person up on stage who's not a millionaire because pretty soon he's going to be one. 
just give him enough time to navigate the political landscape and take advantage of this. Take advantage of the fact that he did well enough in this presidential bid to to um, force Biden and the DNC to make him an offer to set him up for the future. The same thing goes for Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar. I mean, I'm sure she's proved to the establishment with her whole, you know, oh, I'm the reasonable one. I can reach across the aisle and get stuff done. They'll look at her for a cabinet secretary or, or some shit like that. Of course. And that's how all of this works. That's how all of this works. And that's why Pocahontas is still playing ball. She never had a chance. I was right about that all along. I, I did think the fake Indian thing would be uh, a, a much bigger hurdle for her to get over. And it for sure it would have been if she had ever gotten the nomination. Like Donald Trump would have just hammered her over the head with that. But nobody ever liked her. Nobody ever liked her. She's a fake Indian. She's a liar. She she's doubles down on the lies even after they um they get proven false. And they're just such like uh, despicable lies where you're pretending to be something you're not. You know, Donald Trump tells lies all the time about like how big the crowd was or whatever. But to pretend to be an Indian and just to be that person that is willing to pretend to be an Indian. She submitted a recipe to an Indian cookbook. <laughs> it's just nobody likes her. And, and no, no, everybody can see through how phony she is. And her plans are stupid. Her plans are really stupid. But, you know, she was, uh, she played ball. She st she's staying in. I don't know how much longer, but she'll probably stay in just to, to keep, to make sure that Bernie Sanders can't get ahead in any of these um, primary uh, matchups. She really went downhill when it came to her plans, right? That when she came out with her $50 trillion Medicare for all plan, uh, that's when people were like, oh yeah, no, this is, this is insane. And her two cents thing, you know, that's the thing about socialists and authoritarians. They think they can plan everything. And her whole thing was, oh, I have a plan for that. I have a plan for that. Like, Bernie's got ideas and everything, but I have the real plan. Uh, okay. As if any one person or group of people could ever possess enough knowledge to rule over the lives of 320 million other people and plan out how every other interaction would take place, how they should take place, how resources should be allocated what the best, most efficient way or, or most efficient approach to any given scenario is. You see, that's the fatal flaw in socialism. A lot of people simply jump to the conclusion that, well, all, all, all of socialism just goes against human nature, and that's why it won't work. And it does. It certainly does go against human nature. They are absolutely right about that. In fact, I was... Um, perusing the Twitters this morning, and I came across a, a pretty hilarious post. Let me see if I can pull it up here. It was a post by, like, the, the Socialist Party of America or something like that. I forget who it was. But he posted this thing, what is socialism? And um, it says, socialism means all of us collectively owning the industries, natural resources, etc. When this happens, the socialist society will also own all the goods and the services, and services being provided by workers. A society that already collectively owns all goods and services is one where money is no longer needed, as you don't have to buy what's already yours. After a clear majority establishes socialism, people will be working voluntarily to produce what's required, and everyone will have free access to what they need. As this is a class-free society with no top-down control, Decisions will be made democratically at local, regional, and even global levels. Some other benefits are far shorter working weeks, estimated to be around 10 hours on average. People will have maximum freedom to work in jobs they actually want to do. No more worries about money, bills, debts, mortgages, rent, etc. No more inferior goods and services due to cost-cutting and profit-chasing. A far friendlier and pleasant society with cooperation, not competition. 
No more wars and conflicts between competing ruling classes over oil, etc. <laughs> okay, so that's what socialism is. And um, if you think that would work out, I've got a bridge to sell you. And, um, you know, it's funny that anarchists get get knocked for being the utopians, that, that we were the ones pushing this utopian fantasy land. I mean, how is that going to work out? There are so many problems in that in that theory of socialism right there that it would take me all day just to break it down. But the thing is, I and this is something that uh, Ludwig von Mises identified in his what he called the economic calculation problem of socialism. And, you know, even if you can do everything that they say in that stupid little uh, excerpt there, you can somehow get people to not act like people. Everyone just gets to do what they want and everything will be magically provided. I don't know who's going to be shoveling shit in your socialist utopia because I don't know anybody that would want to do that. You said you could do whatever you want. And everybody will just have this magical supply of everything that they need because people will voluntarily just provide it, even though they didn't don't get to keep any of the fruits of their labor. They'll work just as hard for everybody else as they would for themselves. And, you know, put them under some kind of magical spell, even if you can do that, and you can get everyone to work just as hard as they would and work the shittiest jobs regardless of how much they get paid and regardless of who reaps the benefits, even if you could get that to work. I'll grant you that fantasy, and this is what Mises did. You're still going to run into all sorts of problems trying to allocate resources in the most efficient manner. And this is what is really the fatal flaw in socialism. You see, it will be a disaster, in fact, because you have no pricing mechanism to signal to buyers and sellers which resources are most needed for which application and where said application should take place. You see, we take this all for granted, this whole capitalist system with prices and profits. Nobody really understands how these things work or why they matter, but they really do. You see, prices and profits, the higher the price of a resource, the more in demand it is. Something, you know, like wood could be used for a million different things, right? Uh, we could use it for paper. We could use it to build a house. You could, I don't know, uh, whatever, make pencils. How would you know what the best use of that wood is? What the most efficient allocation of that finite resource is? If you're going to build a structure would that be the best use of the wood? Or maybe that structure, uh, maybe that wood is needed for something else in society more urgently. Maybe that structure is better off being built out of concrete. How do you know? Well, prices. Prices and profits. The prices indicate how much a demand there is for something, and the profits tell the entrepreneur the capitalist, whether or not they have made a good use of those resources, whether or not they've been good stewards of those limited resources of society. If you made the right resource allocation, you make a profit. That's your signal that you did something right. You've satisfied a need in society. You've made people happy. That's what the profit is telling you. If you take a loss, well, you screwed something up. You're doing something wrong along the way. Maybe the location was wrong. Maybe the raw materials were wrong. Maybe just nobody wants whatever the hell you're selling. Either way, you've misallocated resources, and those losses are society's way of telling you to stop what you're doing. You're squandering precious resources. We don't want that. We don't want what you're doing. We want to use those resources for other things that we value more. That's what the losses are telling you. And the profits tell you just the opposite. Now, when it comes to governments, no matter what form of government you have, you have none of these signals. You don't have profits to tell you if you're doing something society values. And since they have monopolies on things like, you know, the DMV, the post office, the courts, police, and fire, and national defense, all that stuff, 
They don't need to make a profit, so they're, ter- they're, they're flying blind. Why are the lines so long at the DMV? How many employees do they need for customer service versus how many they need for administering tests or taking your picture and all that stuff? They have no idea. That's why they always get it wrong. How many policemen should be directed uh, toward murder investigations versus burglaries or writing chicken shit jaywalking tickets? What do we, their customers, want them to be working on? Well, they have no idea, do they? They have no way of knowing because they don't have profits. They have revenue, sure, but they force that revenue. They force us to pay it, and it comes in all under the general umbrella of revenue, of taxes. And since we're forced to pay, they have no idea if it's a service that we want or that we even need. And since they don't have specific revenue sources from specific areas, they don't know how many resources to dedicate to any given problem. All governments face that inherent problem in everything that they do. It's impossible for them to obtain that information because everything is forced. Nothing is voluntary. And they don't have profits, and they aren't really sensitive to prices because they can always just forcibly extract more tax revenue or, hell, just create the money out of thin air, right? We have the printing press. Since they don't need a profit, they don't care how much anything costs. That's why they never bring prices down, and they never increase efficiencies. This is why it's always hilariously misguided Anytime some status knucklehead is out there talking about they're going to vote in some guy, some more government to fix the problem. It's literally impossible. Okay. And socialists, socialist government in particular, when the government controls the means of production, as that socialist post was talking about, where there are no buyers and sellers, everything is just owned collectively. Well, then that problem is compounded by the fact that there's no price system at all. Under capitalism, you have the prices set by the economy. And funny enough, if you go back and look at the Soviet Union, when they ran into this problem, they were actually caught using the U.S. like Sears catalog to get the prices of some of the goods to just kind of give them an idea of what things should cost because they had no idea. They didn't know what to do. And when the government is the sole buyer of everything, or the people are the sole buyer of everything, right? They are, in essence, buying and selling capital goods to themselves. They are solely responsible for the allocation of resources. So they have no idea which resources should be used for which projects or how much anything should cost. Because the government owns everything. The people own everything. And if you have no input cost, how do you know what to charge for the final product? How do you know if you've turned a profit? How do you know if you've satisfied a need in society? If you've been a good steward of those resources? You don't. And that's why there's always shortages. Shortages and surpluses. Because they can't figure it out. They have no signals. That's why socialism eventually always fails. And that's why it will always fail no matter what there is no getting around that it's impossible no matter who is in charge no matter how good their plan is no matter how smart they are there is simply no way for any one person or a group of people to possess enough knowledge to make all of those billions of calculations constantly over and over again and then also be making constant adjustments to the needs of society and the overall economy as they change. Even if they can somehow get new information that would prompt the socialist uh, society to, uh, to democratically you know, make changes, imagine how long that process is going to take to democratically decide something collectively, change the process, reallocate resources. By the time they figure it out, that intel is no good. It's stale. Things have already changed. It's too late. It's the job of the capitalist to anticipate those changes and be in constant flux. That's why you can never rest on your laurels as a capitalist. You're constantly 
forever tweaking and adjusting in response to instantaneous information from prices and profits. And the constant buying and selling that is taking place billions of times a day. You're getting billions of signals left and right over and over and over again. That, that socialist guy, he wants to eliminate all of that. Oh, okay, then how do you know what to do with anything? We're just going to democratically decide. Uh, okay, good luck with that. I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that Elizabeth Warren can take of all of her uh, well-laid plans and shove them where the sun don't shine. And, um, you know, this is the great tragedy of our time, that people don't understand these concepts, that children aren't taught these concepts. I mean, it's no surprise they're, they're going, growing up in government schools. Even if the establishment can prop up Joe Biden long enough to eliminate Bernie Sanders this time around, I don't think there is any doubt which way the wind is blowing. It's clearly blowing in Bernie Sanders' direction. Biden is just Bernie going the speed limit, okay? He wants 85% of what Bernie Sanders wants, and that number is only going to go up. It was probably like about half just 10 or 15 years ago. Now he's at 85%. Soon he'll, be, he'll want everything that Bernie Sanders wants. It's the logical conclusion of everything that they talk about is Bernie Sanders. And there is a dramatic shift in this country towards those ideas. And instead of learning the lessons of history, instead of learning the lessons on this podcast, we have the next generation being propagandized to believe that we are best off as a socialist society where you, we have one leader that's just barking out orders to the rest of us from some bullhorn. You know, there's this great little essay, and I think I've mentioned it on the show before. It's called I Pencil. And if you're not into the whole reading thing, I don't know how it would take you less than 10 minutes to read this thing. But, you know, you can go on YouTube, and if you look up um, Milton Friedman, I Pencil, I think he, he does a pretty good job of, of sort of distilling it down in a short little video. But anyway, the, they, they talk about all of the, the knowledge and communication and cooperation and the work that goes into making a pencil. Just a, a stupid little pencil that we all take for granted. And it goes through each ingredient in the process and where it has to come from and the knowledge that one must possess in order to complete that stage of the production process. And it's just to make a pencil. And when you really break it down, which is what the essay does, it's incredible. It's simply incredible. You got graphite, you got wood, you've got paint, you've got metal, you've got rubber. All of those things. There's 10 or 15 other just layers for each one of those things to get it. How do you get the graphite? Well, you got to mine it. How do you mine it? Well, then you need tools. How do you get the tools? Well, then you need to know how to metallurgy and all that. It just keeps going and going and going. If you were just reading how much work and coordination was involved in making a pencil and you didn't know any better, you would think that that pencil would cost hundreds of dollars just by how complex the whole chain of production is except that they cost practically nothing. In fact, people give them away for free all the time. If you saw one on the sidewalk as you were walking by, you wouldn't even bother to bend over and pick it up because you've got, I don't know, a dozen at home. You wouldn't even think about it. You'd just be like, ah, oh, there's a pencil on the ground. Who cares? And none of it, not one aspect of the creation of that pencil came from some politician with a bullhorn barking out orders and directing the means of production. It all came from the voluntary interactions of thousands of people across several different continents, each of them acting in their own self-interests. You see, we don't need rulers telling us what to do and how to do it. We have each other. We have free markets. The most complex things in the world, all of them, have arisen from free people acting in their own self-interest, trying to solve a problem that society is facing. Think about language. The English language is a great example. We came up with this way of communicating 
complex feelings, emotions, details, science. Mathematics is another one. All of these things we hold most near and dear to our hearts and the most complicated things on the planet have all come from market forces, from voluntary cooperation of people acting in their own self-interest, not from rulers, not from politicians and kings and queens directing the plebs on what to do. We live in a world today that is so incredible. It blows my mind. It's absolutely astonishing what we are capable of and the things we have, and we all take them from granted, for granted all the time. I mean, this podcast, I have no idea how any of this shit works. I don't know how the internet works. I don't know how my computer works. I don't know how this microphone works right now or how these episodes even get out to the platforms for you guys to listen to on the supercomputer that you carry around in your pocket all day long. Bluetooth, wireless headphones. I have no idea. I have no idea. 99% of people using these things have no idea how any of them work. And yet, some entrepreneur, some evil capitalist somewhere figured it all out, structured the means of production, figured out a way to make them so idiot-proof that even a knucklehead like me can eventually figure out how to use it and put out a pretty good podcast if I do say so myself. We have the world at our fingertips. You can go on Amazon right now, click two buttons, and have something from halfway around the world delivered to your door in two days. Think about that. And yet we all take it for granted. Socialist especially. Ah, oh, it's not good enough. Bezos has too much money now. He doesn't pay his workers enough and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, as I've pointed out a million times on this show, his billions of dollars don't prevent you from making billions of your own. It's not a fixed economic pie. The only thing preventing you from doing that is you and your own mental limitations. Go offer him something to buy. I'm sure... Jeff Bezos would be more than willing to part with hundreds of millions, maybe billions of his dollars in exchange for some value you're providing. But you actually have to provide some value to society. You can't just sit there and complain all the time. And if you're unhappy with the way he does things, okay, okay, you think you can do better? By all means, go for it. What's stopping you? What's stopping you, the Democratic Socialist of America? Go start that company. Have everything owned by the workers. Pay them all $100,000 a year or whatever. Get rid of the money. You guys can just barter, I guess. I don't know. If that's what you think is the best way of doing business, stop fucking complaining and do it. And if it is truly better, you'll beat out all your competition, won't you? Mike Bloomberg uh, I'm getting way off track here. I'll, I'll try to bring it back on topic. Mini Mike dropped out, as I mentioned. And, you know, he had this unbelievable ability to come across as, like, smug and sort of sheepish at the same time. And, you know, as long as you're going to come across as a, as a smug, rich asshole, make this case. Uh, turn to Elizabeth Warren and say, hey, I employ 20,000 people. That's 20,000 people are dependent on me and my company for their livelihood. I have billions of dollars because I created the most intuitive, advanced data analysis, data aggregating platform on the planet. Millions of people can use it to analyze complex markets and equations. They can get the news. They can buy and sell goods and services instantaneously with people all around the world. I mean, for anybody who is not familiar with a Bloomberg terminal, that's basically what they do in a nutshell. And they are absolutely incredible. I probably only used about 5% of the functionality. And even that, quite frankly, it is way too much for me to handle. But if you think you can do better, you think women will be better treated at your company, then go do it. Go hire all the women. Pay them all the money. Organize the company however you want. Handle the, the frivolous lawsuits however you want, however you see fit. Go ahead. 
what's stopping you? Oh, yeah. You can't. You can't because you're nothing but a worthless career politician. You've never done anything. You've never accomplished anything. You've provided no benefit to society. You're just a complainer. All you do is complain and you take. And you sit there sucking off the teeth of the rest of us, of the work of others. And this is the incredible thing and infuriating thing. People like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they sit there. Their entire existence is funded through theft, through taxation. They literally enslave the entire population for three plus months of the year, more than three months of the year for some of us. More than three months of the year of your labor goes towards tax dollars for pussy politicians. And then they sit there and they complain about Bloomberg and Bezos exploiting their workers because, what, they offered them a salary in exchange for a job which they voluntarily agreed to? Their entire existence is exploitative. Everything they eat, everything they drink, the roof over their heads. It was all paid for from theft at the threat of violence, at the threat of imprisonment. You know, Bernie Sanders was talking about, you know, somebody took out a $300,000 loan and oh, what was their crime? They wanted to go to medical school and so they shouldn't have to pay it back. Well, what's the taxpayer's crime? What was our crime? A existing so therefore, you're entitled to 35, 40, 50 percent of our, our income for the rest of our lives in perpetuity, and then when we die, you take another half. What's our crime? You see, they talk about how much they care about you, and they point the finger in the other direction as to who your oppressor really is. But it's nothing but projection. They're accusing everyone else in the world of being guilty of what they themselves are guilty of. And that is a level of chutzpah I can't even imagine having. And unfortunately, they have been able to convince a lot of people that that is the case, especially the next couple of generations coming up. That capitalism is evil and exploitative, and socialism is the more moral, proper way of organizing society. Now, if Super Tuesday is any indication, maybe it's not as many uh, people as we initially thought. But I don't know. I mean, Pocahontas killed Bernie on Super Tuesday. Just killed him. There, there were several states where, like Texas, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, all the big upsets, right? It was like, oh, well, we didn't think that uh, Bernie would lose those states. Well, he wouldn't have. But Pocahontas took, uh, took critical votes from him, 10 15% in each one of those. Or Biden only won those by a few percentage points. Pocahontas took between 10 and 15 from Bernie. He would have won all those states. And then you can imagine if, if you know Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar were in, Biden would have gotten even fewer votes. And if you look at the delegate count going into Super Tuesday, there was no reason for Mayor Pete to drop out in, in favor of uh, Elizabeth Warren. It would have made much more sense if this was really a free and fair election and Mayor Pete was genuinely interested in what was best for the country and not just his career. He had no business dropping out before Warren. None. None whatsoever. He came in first in Iowa. He beat Warren, I think, in every primary and only lost to Biden in South Carolina and Nevada. So he had just as much of a reason to be in there as Biden did. Biden would have gotten demolished on Super Tuesday if Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar hadn't bowed out. He would have severely underperformed, and I think he surprised even himself on Super Tuesday. I don't even think the DNC could have predicted that this scheme would have worked out so well. Those of you who go back to the, um, the Jew and the Gentile days know that uh, me and Johnny the Jew disagreed on, I always thought Biden had no shot whatsoever at getting this nomination. And um, he disagreed. I don't think he, he disagreed because, like, he couldn't have seen this coming either. But, um, you know, if Biden does get this nomination, I'll have to have him back on to take a, a little victory lap. 
and rub it in my face a little bit. And as I said earlier on the show, I, I, I still think this is a, a big mistake for them. I, I don't see Biden beating Trump. I, I don't see him having a better tr- chance than Bernie Sanders. You know, every everything that Biden won was in the South, basically, Southeast. And I don't I don't see the South going to Joe Biden instead of Donald Trump. And if you take away nothing from this episode other than this, realize that none of these politicians have your best interests or the interests of the country in mind. It's clear just by watching what Amy Klobuchar did, Mayor Pete did, and Pocahontas, that they don't care about you, that they're all acting in their own self-interests. That is human nature. That is why socialism fails. That is why capitalism is so successful. It harnesses the human nature for good. Millions of people acting in their own self-interest can only satisfy those interests if they first satisfy the needs of others. That dynamic doesn't exist in government. Government is force, pure and simple. You act in your own self-interest at the expense of everyone else. Look at Elizabeth Warren. If she really believed in all of this fiction that she's peddling, if she truly believed that what was best for the country is all this democratic socialism and it's a moral outrage that we have billionaires and we need Medicare for all and free college and women and the minimum wage and all that stuff. If she really believed that's what the country needed and it wasn't about her and it wasn't about her political career, well, this is the closest we've ever been to achieving that, right? Bernie is the guy. He was clearly the guy. He had all the momentum. He had the votes, and he had a realistic shot of getting in there and starting that revolution. So why not bow out for the sake of the movement, for the sake of the revolution, for the sake of the country? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Because you only care about your political career. Because you're only acting in your own self-interests like everyone else. The difference is that the system she advocates for, the system that all politicians advocate for, is one where they get rich at the expense of people through true exploitation. And the system they are fighting against is the purest, cleanest expression of freedom and individualism where everyone acting in their own self-interests helps bring more wealth, more prosperity, and more opportunity to more people than any other system devised by man. And I've said on the show before, I'm open to a new system. Maybe capitalism is not the best way of organizing society. Maybe there's something out there that we haven't figured out yet. But you can't just drudge up uh, all these failed 18th and 19th century ideas that have been tested and failed miserably and have serious flaws, as I laid out on this show, inherent flaws that you cannot get around. You can't just keep drudging that up and, and rebranding it and, and convincing me that that's the way to go. It's capitalism, as far as we know, is the best system. And it is that system, not the new capitalism bullshit trending on Twitter, but the old, traditional, free markets, that's the system that we need to work toward getting back to. The system that naturally occurs on thousands of different levels of voluntary interaction every single day, so much so that we hardly even notice it, and we all take it for granted. The closer we get to that, the better off we will all be. Black, white, Indian, Asian, Rich, poor, short, tall, whatever retarded collectivist way you want to divvy up society, everybody benefits from freer markets. The freer the market, the better off everyone will be. That's why I advocate for no government at all. If a lot of government is bad and a little government is good, no government, no government at all would of course be even better. 
And now I realize that that is a tough pill for most people to swallow. And I'm not going to ask you to do that. That's not what this show is about. All I ask is that you continue to listen and you share the show with like-minded individuals and help me turn this damn bus around. Get us off of this expressway toward more government and dependence and start moving us closer to freedom. Let's see how far we can push this thing. I don't think we're in any danger of abolishing the federal government anytime soon, unfortunately. The real threat to us, the real immediate threat, is the fact that the federal government has grown way too big and controls way too much. It's long past time we start seriously rolling this back a bit. So if you like what I'm doing here and you get some value out of this show, the chances are you know somebody else who would too. And you just listening, that's not going to be enough. You, you have to share the show with someone you think might get value out of this as well. Give me a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars if you think the show is worth it. I want this show to blow up this year. I want it to go gangbusters. And I'm going to do whatever I can to ensure that that happens. But I can't do it alone. So help me spread the word. Continue to listen. I do the show two days a week. It's a free show. It will always be free. But if you really believe in this movement and what I'm trying to do with this podcast and you want to donate to that cause, you can do that by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com and you can also sign up for the weekly newsletter from there. More free content. You'll, you'll get uh, my show notes and links to articles that I'm talking about on the show and more of the uh, witty banter you've all become accustomed to, things like that. I think we can really affect some change. Or at least, at the very least, entertain some people for a couple hours every week. Maybe they'll learn something. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back next week and we can do this all over again. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction.